Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our epistle lesson recorded for us in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, what do you think of someone who boasts, who maybe says, I am the best athlete, or I am the best student, or I am the best parent, or I am the best worker, or I am the best whatever else? Even if someone is truly good at what they do, even if they might be the best for someone to promote themselves and speak so highly of themselves, it maybe takes them down a few notches in our own minds. No one likes a braggart. No one likes a boaster. And yet in God's word for us today, he encourages us to boast. He encourages us to boast, though, not in ourselves, in our own ability, but to boast in him, to boast in the work of the triune God. And so this morning, on this Holy Trinity Sunday, let us be encouraged to boast in the work of the Holy Trinity. I know that I'm going to heaven. Does that sound a little bit arrogant to you? If someone would say, I know that I'm going to heaven. You might think that even for someone who's been a lifelong Christian, that maybe they shouldn't be so arrogant to say those words. Maybe they should keep it just this far and say, I think that I'm going to heaven. Because we might wonder, if someone says, I know that I'm going to heaven, it maybe sounds quite arrogant and boastful. And others might wonder, well, what makes you so good or what makes you so sure that you're going to heaven? Well, God in his word for us today encourages us to do exactly that. In the second half of verse 2, Paul writes these words, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And this hope isn't something that's some sort of uncertain thing, but it's, it's a sure hope. We know that we will receive the glory of God. Eternal life is ours. We know that we are going to heaven. But how can we be so sure? Well, in our first two verses, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see, God says the reason that we can boast, the reason we can say that I know that I'm going to heaven is because of the work of the triune God and what he has done for us. We think about the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ, and we think about what he did as our Redeemer, how ultimately Christ brought us to God and established peace between us and God the Father, giving us God's grace as well. 
We might wonder, though, how could this be? After all, doesn't Isaiah write in his 59th chapter, it is your guilt that has separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah tells us that on account of our sin, we are separated from God, so much so that God's gracious face should be turned away from us, so that God's ears should be shut from hearing our prayers. But what did Jesus do? Jesus was sent into this world for you and for me. He was sent into this world to right the wrongs, sent into this world to suffer and die on a cross for the punishment of your sins and mine, to ultimately bring us to God the Father. And through his death on the cross, the punishment that we deserve for our sins was paid in full, and he did this to establish peace between us and the Father. So much so that the Father now has justified us. That is, he has declared us not guilty on account of all of our sins because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. We are justified in God's sight. We might wonder, though, how can we be so sure? After all, we know of the sins we have committed. We know what we deserve for those sins. Because we have done what is wrong, we deserve to be rightfully punished, don't we? But God tells us in his word that Jesus has paid the price, hasn't he? You know, it's interesting, in our own American judicial system, there is a procedural defense known as double jeopardy. I'm sure some of you have heard of this before. And in this procedural defense, it's used at times if someone is brought up on the same charges that they've already been, been brought through the, the court process in. They've already been charged for a certain crime, and there already was a judgment made, whether guilty or not guilty, and maybe even a punishment laid out for their transgression. And if that is the case, if that case actually went through for that certain crime, you cannot be charged for that same crime again. Even if new evidence comes out that would show that you are guilty, if you were found innocent in the first trial, that verdict stands. In a similar way, we can think about what God has done for us because of Christ. God, because of Christ, has declared us not guilty. Yes, we certainly deserved punishment for our sin, but Christ has come into the world to pay the price for our sin. In fact, he has paid it in full, and not just for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. Because of that, we can't be brought up on those charges again. God must declare of us and of the entire world not guilty. You're free to go because the punishment has already been paid in Christ. And yet, how do we receive the benefits of this verdict of not guilty? Well, that is something that is received only by faith. In 1830, there was a man by the name of George Wilson who was arrested for a crime he had committed against the U.S. mail services. In fact, it was such a severe crime that he was sentenced to death. He was sentenced to hanging. However, the president at the time, Andrew Jackson, issued a pardon for Mr. George Wilson. However, George Wilson said, I do not accept the pardon. And so... They weren't sure what to do with him. Should they allow George Wilson to go free because he had been pardoned, or would he have to be punished and executed? 
Well, the case went before a Chief Justice by the name of Chief Justice Marshall, and Chief Justice Marshall determined this, George Wilson must be hanged. He went on to state, A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. It's interesting to think about in that case that the pardon was there for him. He was free to go, pardoned by the President of the United States, yet he rejected that pardon. And because he rejected the pardon, he now would stand on his own deeds and would be executed. We think of something similar that's true for us in the courtroom of God. God has declared the entire world not guilty because of Christ and what he has done because of his atoning work on the cross. He has given us pardon. However, sadly, there are many who reject this pardon. Many who refuse to believe that Jesus has paid the price for their sin. Some think that he would never do such a thing. Someone, some would think he's not real or that he, he's not their savior. They reject the pardon. And therefore, must stand before God on their own account and come under his wrath and punishment. But we have received the pardon, haven't we? We have received it by faith. Yet who of us would believe that on our own? It's quite amazing if you think about it. That the almighty God of the universe, the perfect and holy God, would have sent his holy son, Jesus Christ, into this world. To live and to die for sinful people like you and me. That hardly makes any sense. How would any of us have come to know that, let alone to believe and to trust in it as our own? Yet herein lies the work of God the Holy Spirit. You see, it is God the Holy Spirit that's been at work at our hearts to believe it's true. To believe that the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ. To believe that he, in fact, has made full satisfaction for our sins. To believe that we are declared not guilty before the Father. And that was fully by God's grace. The reason that any of us here today believe is because God, by his grace, gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is at work through his word, who is at work through his sacrament of baptism, to bring you to the knowledge of the truth, and through it to have eternal salvation. Therefore, we can boast. We can boast and say, I know that I'm going to heaven because of the work of the triune God for our salvation, the Son who redeemed us, the Father who justified us, the Holy Spirit who brought us to faith. But the Apostle Paul says that there's something else that we can boast in, something else that we can glory in in our lesson for today. He tells us that we can glory in our sufferings. My parents are better than your parents because they spank us and give us chores, said no child ever. It would be a very adult way of viewing parental discipline, wouldn't it be? And, and yet it's true, right? The adults here today understand that's true, isn't it? That it's good for us to undergo discipline at times when we've done something wrong. It's, it's good for us to have chores as well that, that builds us up as people. And because we ourselves have had many Christian parents who have shown such discipline to us, though maybe it was difficult at the time, it's been something that we ourselves have benefited from. So that we didn't turn into criminals as adults, right? 
So too, God tells us that he allows and permits suffering at times in our lives. He permits it ultimately for our good. And he invites us to view these things not with the eyes of children, but with the eyes of adults and believers as a blessing from God. You know, I think of one example in the Bible of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians that he had this thing called, that he calls a thorn in the flesh. It was a hardship, a, a suffering that he was dealing with, and we don't know exactly what it was. We believe it was a physical ailment that he had. And he tells us in God's word that he prayed that God would take it away from him. In fact, praying three times that God would take it away from him. And we ourselves might say, well, why wouldn't God take it away from him? Whatever it is, wouldn't it be better for Paul to be free from this thorn in the flesh so that he can preach more freely the truth of God's word so that more people can come to faith through him and through his work? Yet how did God respond? My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God did not grant him his request to be relieved of this suffering, of this thorn in the flesh. God knew it was better for him, ultimately, to endure this suffering. He knew it was better for him to endure it so that Paul himself wouldn't become prideful in who he was and the work that he was accomplishing, but rather that God might be glorified through his work. So, too, we think about our own sufferings in our own lives. There's many times that we think about those sufferings as God punishing us for something that we did wrong. There's many times that God permits sufferings for his greater purpose, his purpose of training us, of strengthening us in our faith. We think about what Paul writes in our text for today. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Right? It says that through suffering, God is producing very good and beneficial things in us as his dear children, namely perseverance, character, hope as well. You know, for our United States military, we have the custom, as in many militaries do throughout the world, of encouraging or have, making sure that those that enlist in the military go through boot camp, Right? And the reason that new recruits go through boot camp isn't simply so that they learn how to march and they learn how to use their weapon and they learn how to iron their uniform or something like that. Certainly those things are part of the boot camp experience. But another reason that those new recruits go through boot camp is to also toughen them up, so to speak. Yes, they endure many physical challenges as their body is tested to its limits, but so also their mind as well. As they are put in very stressful environments, even in boot camp, that's part of the reason why the drill instructor screams at them. And it's all for their good. It's all for their training. So that when they find themselves, maybe years down the road, in the midst of a very real battle, in the midst of a life and death situation, that having been tested, having been strengthened through those difficulties, their body is able to endure that stress. Their mind as well, able to think clearly when it really matters. So too, God is at work through our own sufferings in the present life for our good. Again, those sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And God uses those hardships 
in order to strengthen our faith, to go through very real things that cause us to place our trust in him, and to be reassured that he is with us, and that he is bringing us safely home to be with him one day forever in heaven. The story is told of a family who lost three of their four children to a terrible disease over the course of just two weeks. A few weeks later, after they buried their third child, it was Easter Sunday. And this family were very faithful, regular attenders of their home church. In fact, they were vital to the work of that church. The mother was a Sunday school teacher. And that Sunday, she came and taught her Sunday school class as normal, even teaching them the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The father also had a role of sharing a devotion at the beginning of the adult Bible study. He, too, shared a devotion on the resurrection of Christ. There were many members of the congregation, though, that wondered that day, how could they do it? This couple, this family that had been through so much, how could they now come to church so soon afterwards? How could they stand up so visibly and publicly before the congregation and carry out these roles? Well, later that day, as the father and his teenage son were heading home from church, the son remarked to his father, Dad, that couple, they truly believe the Easter story, don't they? To which the father responded, yeah, of course they do. Just like all Christians, all Christians believe the Easter story that Jesus rose from the dead. The son went on, yeah, dad, but not like they do. Not like they do. Isn't it true that when we endure financial hardship, that we are led to believe and to trust God's promises? When Jesus himself said, do not worry, worry saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't it when our lives are filled with the greatest stressors? Isn't it when we are sick, too, that we are forced to rely on God's promises? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't it when we are confronted with death, the death of our loved ones and our own mortality, that we are forced to rely on Jesus' promise? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And isn't it when we endure the greatest of hardships in this life that we are forced to rely on God's promise, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Today on this Trinity Sunday, we are encouraged to boast in the work of the Holy Trinity, to boast in his work of salvation for us, the work of God the Son who redeemed us, the work of God the Father who justified us on account of the Son's work of redemption, the work of God the Holy Spirit who brought us to faith to know Jesus as our Savior, to have the confidence that we are going to heaven, but also to boast in our sufferings, to boast in the sufferings that God has permitted us in this life and to know that through them God is at work, strengthening us in our faith, really building up our own Christian character and perseverance to point our eyes to heaven and to give us the certain hope that we have of eternal life so that each and every one of us to the, on this day and every day can say, I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm going to heaven because of what God has done for me, the triune God of my salvation. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.